Welcome everybody to Turn a Page, Nerd Initiative's comic book club where we break down the latest in comics, talk to creators, deep dive into our, some of our favorite stories, and more. This week's edition, we have something special lined up for you. The Nerd Initiative bullpen is going to be taking a look at one of the best stories to come out in the past year, Charles Soule and Ryan Brown's 8 Billion Genies by Image Comics. So sit back, grab your issue, and let's get ready to turn a page. Welcome to Turn a Page, the official comic book club for Nerd Initiative. Each week, the NI Bullpen will be covering the world of comics, talking to creators, deep diving into some fantastic stories, and much more. Now let's hand it over to the team and turn a page. That Tom Jolu intro never gets old. I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed off his latest album. You definitely need to go check that out. Thank you again for joining us on Turn a Page. My name is Ken M. You know me as the host of the ODPH podcast, but I'm also Nerd Initiative's Comics Editor-in-Chief. Sitting to my left, your right, I can't do his introduction justice, so I just hand it off to him. Coming at you live and direct, straight from a folding chair in the ODPH studios, live in the 607. That's right, my name is Off the Cup Tom, your pop culture connoisseur. Thank you so much, Nerd Initiative. And Ken M for always having me back. Absolutely. And joining us as he's in the midst of traveling cross-country, giving you the news on brews and fantastic comic books and pop culture galore, it is our friend, Nerd Initiative Bullpen member, Matt from Hops Geeks News. Matt, what is going on? What's up? We are mid-move, but that's not going to stop us from talking. And I guarantee you, if I had a genie right about now, my wish would be to get this thing over with. <laughs> Absolutely. Because for this week's episode, we're going to be taking a dive into a story that has definitely been very talked about amongst comic fans and really is on the brink about breaking into pop culture because, Tom, you have a little story behind this book. Uh, yeah, so 8 Billion Genies did so popularly well that the Hollywood Reporter uh, reported last year, before the Dark Times, yes, as they were, that Amazon has picked up 8 Billion Genies to adapt it for the small screen. So I'm interested to see how they do this, considering all the fantastical things that we've already seen. Obviously, we know Amazon can do some really good stuff, good omens, the boys, all that. But how do you take that and not make it too cartoony? But we can talk about that later. Absolutely. So for this episode, like we said, we're talking about 8 Billion Genies. And this has been a series that the fans have definitely been well-receiving, and rightfully so. I mean, Charles Soule, what can you say about him fantastic writer you know him from star wars you know him from daredevil you know him from a lot of things and each time he puts out a book it's absolute quality and ryan brown doing the artwork too which was amazing throughout this entire run eight issues all together and the number eight is very synonymous with this entire series like wouldn't you say matt oh yeah i definitely is and uh, i think one of the things that stands out for me too is there's everybody has a genie just one of my things right off the bat before we dive in and uh ryan brown does a wonderful job making every genie have their own flavor yeah absolutely it's one thing he does that it just stands out and it has such a unique look to it and that's one thing they'll gravitate towards fans the minute that they jump in because you sit there and you see this book and on the outside it looks very friendly very inviting 
And then as you start getting into the story, it really poses the question, with great power, does it come with great responsibility? And you have to really kind of sit there and think about it because what happens when everybody in the world gets a genie? Now, Tom, what would happen if a genie popped into your life right now? Um, exactly <laughs> this, quite <laughs> frankly. Um, I really would be beside myself. Um, I know it just first popped in my head, which is between me and me and the universe. Uh, but, yeah, I really have to think about it hard because, you know, you get things like the monkey's paw effect. And is it too selfish? And, like... The, I'm literally having an existential crisis on screen right now. Thank you very much, Ken. <laughs> That's what I like to do. We, you keep it off the cuff and we give an answer off the cuff. Mm -hmm. Matt, how about you? Because this is something that affects everybody here in the story. But if it happens to you in real life, what is going through your mind? Man, you know, something that uh, the, your first thought goes to something selfish. But I have kids, right? And something that this book does well is kind of play into that. So, it would be very hard for me to just pick one thing because I would want to do whatever I could to protect my family. But at the same time is, as we see, everybody has like their version of a wish that kind of sends the world into a spiral. So it's, it's one of those, like, how do I craft up the perfect wish to make sure that everybody is safe and happy in my realm is, is what it would be ultimately. Yeah. It, it would honestly, no, I, probably be a lot like the bar. Like, I wish everything outside of this bar was affected except for what's happening inside here. Yeah, I have to agree with you because I think I'd be sitting there and if I was in a bar, I'd be like, what did I just get served? Because why is a genie talking to me? Because yeah. that is literally what happens to begin the story. Because we start off with a bar that is in, the, you know, in Detroit and just kind of nothing special about it. Just kind of, you know, one of your local bars the Lampwick Bar and Grill, to be specific. And we do see, you know, the locals that are in there and just kind of seems like a normal day. I mean, we go through seeing uh, one young Robbie checking in on his dad, who's uh, sitting there, you know, drinking uh, his pain away because of the loss of his wife. And we see a band is setting up. We see a couple comes in that is lost. And right at this moment, and I, I love how they kind of set this up, if I'm doing my math right... We had three members of the bar, Robbie and his dad, the couple, and Will. Eight people. Mm -hmm. not, not done unintentionally. Because as this is all unfolding, you see that the band is in there trying to figure out what they're going to do next, like any local band does. And all of a sudden, genies pop up. And watching the scene unfold, Matt, what's the first thing going through your head, seeing that Genies are now here. I'm going to be honest with you. I really thought this was going to be a more kid-friendly story in a way. Like one of these lighthearted stories. It didn't hit me until we see what's going on outside that I was like, oh, wait. Yeah, that's, that's right. Because humanity, you know dang well that this is exactly what humanity would do. And uh, but yeah, the, my first initial thoughts are, oh man, we're in for a fun time. This is going to be great. Everything's awesome. <laughs> Boy, was I yeah. wrong. <laughs> oh, I know. Tom, what is your thoughts going through as you're seeing the bar is now all of a sudden greeted by genies? Well, first they showed up in French. Let's be honest. Oh, that's true. The first uh, 
panel that we got was with the birth of a child, and then there was a bon, in France, un bonjour, 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 mm-hmm. je suis un genie. Uh, so I'm thinking, okay, something's up with this kid more than anything. Agreed. Uh, which was not in the case. It just happened to be right at that particular millisecond where, you know, the, the, the you know, spatial, divine, cosmic alignment. Yes. Um, but as someone who's been in a bar business for a very long time, I'm like, I need a drink. Yeah. <laughs> that would be my first reaction. I would just pour one for myself. Yeah. Because the genies come there and literally tell everybody, you have one wish. And it does play into the, the running joke about, well, I want more wishes. They immediately handle that, which I love how Charles Soule wrote that yes. in. That you have one wish, not more, not three. It's one. And how everybody there has a different idea going on. Because we know LeFang and Wang Zhang, who are the couple that's in there, is lost. But they have oh, yeah. an expecting child. That you know, Wang really comes up and says, all right, my wish is I want to protect my family from everything that's going on here, because this all sounds crazy. Very. You see the playfulness of the band between Daisy, Alex, and Brian, where Daisy wastes her wish trying to get Brian to fall in love with her. While Alex, on the other hand, is infatuated with her. Yeah. And seeing how this all blows up in his face. And then you see that Brian is sitting here just kind of like a little out of this and just kind of not affected by it. But the one thing that really I thought was very smart at the beginning is Will, the bar owner, is the first one to say, I wish, like Matt mentioned, nothing is affected inside this bar from anyone else's wishes. Because as it's explained, that you have everyone in the world has one wish. And when you start breaking that down and really getting that concept in, I thought Will's play was smart mm-hmm. and really set the tone for what was going to be happening here. I mean, Matt, when you saw Will's wish go, did you go, oh, did he waste it? Or, man, this is really creative. I was like, dude, that's actually pretty smart. Uh, I wasn't, th- I, you know, I would, later on we figure out kind of why. But at first I was like, you know, he's a pretty smart dude. Like, I wouldn't have thought about that. Because like you said, Daisy wastes her wish right off the bat, wishing for love which that wish went to waste because every, you know, the whole, he was inside the bar, everything outside the bar. And so it was like, ouch. And so to me, it was just like, wow, I, I guess I would not have thought about that at first. It would have taken me a lot longer to think about. Yeah. Tom, how about you? For me, I think in fact, it was the first wish that was wished if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. if, because then within first, what the next page goes like the next eight seconds of everything that happens in the next eight days or eight weeks or so on and so forth. As we see it, bless you. Excuse me. We do this live. See this progress. Um, So, yeah, I think he was the first wish, and within the first eight seconds, he made probably the smartest wish out there. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Which I love how this comes back to play later, but this is such a smart move that you see everybody is trying to make a wish, and especially too involving Robbie, who's sitting there and understands that this is you know a little much to kind of let sink in. And as he is making his wish, he wants to become a superhero. Like, much like any young kid wants to. So I thought they really kind of played into that mindset. Because what is a kid going to really wish at that age? And I thought this is something that will play benefits as we go through. Because as we see, once the door is open to look outside, 
<laughs> That's literally all you could say. Because literally, all hell has broken loose. And then the countdown is officially on. Because as you can see by the graphic, in the first eight hours of what is now known as G-Day, the human population is at 7 million, or 7 billion rather, I'm sorry. And the genie population is at 6.5 billion. And when you kind of put this into context, we know where we started, but you see the people are already dying from this. And I don't know if anybody else picked up on this, but considering the time frame this is happening, you can see the mismanagement of these wishes. And especially when you see outside and you're seeing people are making themselves 50 feet tall and, you know, into the stratosphere, which I love how they kind of played that one uh, character because once they get so big in the space, they can't breathe. Mm-hmm. And the genies, to their credit, and Matt, I'm curious about your opinion about this, they let everybody, for the most part, have their wish, unless they thought it was something that didn't make sense. But they were not somebody that jumped in to say no. They're not somebody that's jumped in and said automatically yes. How did you think about their personas as they were going through this? I mean, I kind of already touched on it earlier, right? It, they Everybody has a genie. There's 8 billion genies, but they do a really good job of giving everybody kind of this own personality. And I thought one of the really clever ways is these genies were very careful not to do anything not like straight end of the world. Like that would have ended the world right then, but also like that wouldn't mm. have fixed everything. And they're, they're pretty literal too at the same time. Uh, so they, they do have some parameters around what they can do. And I thought that was a really clever way because it kind of gives you rules, right? Everybody kind of likes rules. Okay. Cause your first thought when you get a genie is, all right, what are my rules? What am I, what can I play within? And uh, they do a really good job of that. And I didn't realize that this was very quickly going to become an ap- apocalypse for the entire world. Yeah. Tom? I mean, those those wishes are really cool. I mean, just on a pop culture aspect, I mean, there are so many things that I was picking apart. Like, oh, we're going to be a huge kaiju. Oh, we're going to be, uh, we're going to have the mech from Alien. You know, we're yeah. going to have, uh, it, it, there's so many little things. And it was so well done. Like, honestly, some of these references were borderline copyright. Like, I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. There's there. a lot of good detail in Easter eggs, man. If you really take a time to just look at the art and what scenes are being played out, you're right. Like there was yeah. little Godzillas in Tokyo that Robbie at one point goes to fight. And I was like, are we allowed to do this? Dude, there were even the little tiny. So going in the back uh, backstory, one of the, you know, villains or characters, antagonists that we'll see down the road. He was playing with in 1986, the uh, battle bots, which are like the fourth generation of transformers, which I could probably do a whole thing on, but that's a whole different <laughs> thing. But I mean, just like, a deep dig like that, like if you know Transformers, you know the Transformers. But even if you don't know Transformers, like, oh, I had those as a kid because they were so cheap. My mom bought them off the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, but I love how they kind of just dance around pop culture. I mean, you kind of saw this a little bit with like Ready Player One. I think that's kind of a, uh, a you know, great comparison in that. I just watched that too. Really? <laughs> we, should, we should do a dive on that at some point. I think it would be great. Because it kind of ties into this because you see a lot of people are trying to emulate what they see in pop culture. And especially one aspect as well that came in a little later, but it definitely made a lot of sense, is we do see the scene where Ernest Hemingway, Dorothy Parker, oh, Jim yes. and Jim Morrison come into My the dad is, has a massive Jim Morrison tattoo on his back, so this would have been like right up his alley. <laughs> 
And oddly enough, I have a funny anecdote too. When we went to school, when my culinary school went to France, I can't tell you how many people would take and make the day trip just out to go see Jim Morrison's grave, even though he wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> what? For anybody that's not familiar with Jim Morrison, Lee Singer, The Doors, one of the most iconic figures in rock and roll music, pop culture even. So to see him now in the bar, and Will the entire time is not phased by anything, and is probably the most, I want to say level-headed of everybody, even though he does have a doomsday bunker in the bottom of the bar, you know, reasons. He's but, been stalking. Yeah, like he almost knew too much about this. But as you see when the historical figures come into the bar, that he's not phased when Ernest Hemingway is mouthing off to him because he doesn't feel like paying his tab. And he said, I can write my name on this napkin and I could buy this bar, to put it mildly. <laughs> and just kind of seeing the interactions here, I thought Charles Soule did such a great job about playing into the, the mythos of those individuals because they're such you know pop culture figures. And really seeing how they interact with somebody that's, you know, just a, a low-level, you know, in comparison, nobody. I mean, Matt, when you're seeing this comparison play out and in, in the, the interactions here on screen, like, what is going through your head? You know, at first, I didn't even uh, – sorry, my kids were trying to pop in and give their thoughts, apparently. But at <laughs> first, um, I it didn't even register that that's who it was when he opens the door. I was like, oh, okay, just some randos. And then I was like, this guy kind of does look like Jim Morrison, and they kind of talk to it, and then – I was like, you know, that makes a lot of sense because you know people that, that this idolize celebrities. Like, look at celebrity culture today, right? You just know mm -hmm. that why wouldn't somebody's wish immediately would be like, I wish, God, I don't know, John F. Kennedy was back alive or something like that. You know, something stupid just to be like, I want to know who killed him. Ho, ho. Uh, so it, it made a lot of sense in this universe again. Mm -hmm. And I mean, Tom, like seeing this all play out, what's going through your mind? For me, just the fact of one, Jim Morrison, and two, you've got some young musicians who've probably idolized him as someone who's played music in the past. I was, was like, okay, uh, this is happening. We're going to go with it. Sure, not a problem. Hemingway, uh, he's at a bar. Not surprised. Like, it was just, uh, I just want to understand what the heck is going on and get to the next page. Mm -hmm. And especially, too, like I say, it's a little fun moment because we do shift a little bit into more serious moments when this plays out. Like I say, one of which jumped in when Wong leaves the bar because he wants to go investigate the world and see about getting his wife and his now unborn child into a safer spot because they don't want to stay at the bar forever. But when he leaves, this dives into a little backstory going on that he is not exactly the most innocent of people. No, very not, not as upstanding as you would think he is, especially for the fact that he's not... He wants to go to the bar, to another bar, which has a very similar name, um, I originally started reading it like, oh, maybe this is where his mom met his dad and he's making the, the, the trip, you know, the, you know, an homage to them or so on and so forth. And then we find out that the reason he needs to get this bar is because dude's being blackmailed. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you see him now in like this almost Snyder Batman-esque suit and he's fighting off. Kind of more like Zorn. Yes. Very good analogy. Yes, I, I saw a lot of Zorn and, and Iron Man and just an amalgam of all of that. Mm -hmm. Because as he's fighting his way through, he does get attacked by somebody who wants to be a vampire and does the heroic thing because he defeats him, but let alone breaks his fangs. And, and not, like, not even cool vampire, not like Blade vampire or, or Buffy vampire. We're just talking 
I'm a guy on my couch and with fuck blood. Yeah. So as you see him go uh, uh, on his journey, he does meet up with Barney, who's blackmailing him. And then you see that Barney hasn't used his wish yet. And then in this moment, a decision is made to prevent that wish. And you see Wong kill him. <laughs> to put it mildly. Like, the one thing I will say about this series is they did not hold back about when they needed to establish being graphic no, for, this, for the sense of purpose. They needed to go in, and they really needed to set the tone. And one thing is, especially with how horrific this stuff has been, they jumped in, and they really kind of played into the aspects of the world is ending, more or less. We're not holding anything back. And just because you make a wish doesn't mean you can keep your wish. And I like how that kind of played in for that. So as we're seeing in the chat, unfortunately, Matt's power just went out. Somebody made a wish. Yes, so somebody made a wish. So he will be jumping in if he can get back in the stream, but Tom and I will just kind of keep going on with the show for this. It, like we say, folks, we do this live here on Nerd Initiative, so you're not getting anything pre-taped, except for something else coming down the road, but we'll get into that after the show. Yes. But for what happens now, you see that Wong comes back to the bar Everybody's kind of in a different place because Daisy's used her wish. Yep. You see that Alex and company are trying to, you know, assess what's going on because everybody there is kind of getting restless and really doesn't know what to do. You know, and Tom, when you're when you're seeing this, like what is going through your head? Like everybody is sitting there trying to be calm, trying to be, you know, normal. And, you know, everybody's just starting to get so restless because by this time, it's been a while. Oh, well, I mean, it's been several days at that point. Everybody's still getting situated. There's a lot of uh, hurt feelings, obviously, between the band, people realizing, well, I can't get out of here. There's, it's cabin fever, really. You know, uh, and luckily nobody is trying to outdo somebody else, like because that's, that's a real thing. I mean, you try to get someone that exerts dominance in this spot where nobody has the power or ability, uh, that's really good of all the people to just like realize we're we're all in the same boat here let's don't be a dick yeah i mean it's <laughs> so that's smart writing um it it's a lot to take in and, and you know the other thing is when we go back to to wang to his uh wish if you remember he wanted his wish to be able to protect his family mm-hmm. so ergo killing the dude is protecting his family yeah and it, it, it and you have to say obviously with what he was doing uh getting blackmailed, you understood his motives. Oh, easily. You know, same thing as you understood with Ed, Robbie's father, because Robbie has been sitting there, you know, trying to have that father-son bond with his dad, and obviously the loss of his mother has strained that. And when we see Robbie become the son, and he now becomes a superhero, and you see him, like, it's a great amalgam of, like, 90 superheroes, too, by the way. Not enough uh, little pockets. Yeah. There needed to be more pouches. There's plenty of abs, not enough pouches. Yes. And you see he does find up with other superheroes. Mm-hmm. And they kind of form their own Justice Avengers, so to speak. Mix that up on purpose. But don't forget that uh, his dad wished for his mother to come back first. Mm-hmm. And the reason he evolved or wished is to protect his family as well. Yeah, which, I mean, is, is such a noble wish, too, because his dad understands, like, mm-hmm. you know, that things are not good and he wants to try doing better. And as you see this play out, too, Robbie takes off 
and is trying to find, you know, I guess his own cause at this stage. And he does meet up with some other superheroes, but during this time too, stakes get very high because unfortunately we wind up meeting supervillains. And when that happens, we do see the typical superhero fights. And this plays out just as one would expect. But when we see this all start unfolding, you do see a lot more just reality sink in. And you do see supervillains killing superheroes. I wouldn't even mind if they did a follow-up, just a one-shot follow-up of the poorer end side. Not to the psychopathic side of it, you know, of the individuals that chose to become the villains or where were their mindsets. But that's neither here nor there. We're talking about what, what we got. I'm just saying I think mm-hmm. it would be a really neat dichotomy to see where all the poor choices of, of wishes came from. Yeah. So as we're seeing this, we do see the character that I would say was like their Superman mm-hmm. get killed right in front of Robbie. And Robbie is just kind of sitting there and it's, it's not sinking in. And and he's getting the final goodbyes, as you see from the dying superhero. And Robbie goes, what am I supposed to do? I'm only 12. But he was only 11. Yeah. And then you see that their Superman was only 11. Tom, what's going through your mind as you're seeing this unfold? Oh, total heartbreak. Like, total gut punch. Like, the the writing and, and is so good, and the, the art is so well done. And it wasn't gory for the case of gore. It was gory for the case of, for the sake of just showing how apparent everything was. It wasn't overly done one way or the other. It was literally just a, a hard gut punch mm-hmm. that when you realize that I'm only 12, well, I'm only 11. Like, how does a preteen take literally the whole world on their shoulders like that? And then for them not to succeed was just, yeah, it, it, it hit hard. Mm-hmm. And as you see, the world is still moving, and it's moving very fast, too, because more and more you're seeing the genie population is dwindling out, but so is the human population. And you're seeing just, and I, I love how like the artwork on the screen, too, describes that, because everybody thinks, like, oh, it's so fun, it's all this, it's, it's you know, great. And then, sure enough, you kind of see this all play out, and it's like, not everything is all right here, because... You see, there's a whole piece of the world missing. And I love just kind of how they were playful about this because, like, that was the genie's persona this entire time. Mm-hmm. And then when you see this all kind of transpire, I mean, it kind of sinks in that, yeah, this is all fun and games, but it's reality too. Yep. And what perception is in the stake. And I thought how they really kind of set this up as they're progressing forward because everybody is aging. You are seeing that, yeah, there were a couple of immortality wishes that played out here. But. In hindsight and in comparison, everybody is you know moving on, and when they die, their wishes go away, which I thought was a very cool point to throw in the story too, because when we do see that whoever wished for Jim Morrison to come back, they had they had a heart attack. There's only a window of time left while they're still there. Right. And I thought that it was very smart by Soul to put in because we sit here and we kind of just question, you know, what is the reality going to be this moving forward? Because outside of the bar. The world is still moving, but it's almost a blend of timelines. Not to go completely multiverse here, but yeah. You see everything just kind of forged together, and you're seeing just so many people collide that it's almost like whose will is stronger. 
Like, that's the vibe I got from this. I don't know about you. Uh, well, the, whose will is stronger is one thing, but you have to give credit to the genies themselves because, you know, just as the American uh, government wanted to be the number one country in the world, mm-hmm. at the same time, so many other countries did it, and they all canceled each other out. So the genies did have, you know, plans just in case and provisos that would help them in this type of situation, that there wasn't any one dominant person one dominant threat so things did cancel each other out which i think was really smart like they don't follow the obvious disney genie rules if i can't bring back somebody from dead i can't make somebody love me because we've seen that Mm -hmm. but the fact of that everything does have a check and a balance is a good thing in my opinion because your wishes can only go so far and they're like eh hold on a second Eh, that's a little too much buddy let's Mm -hmm. let's reel it back and we're going to take it up to this line but not over that line Mm mm-hmm because as you're seeing, as everybody's getting older, you are seeing those those wishes are not so much reality. Right. And this even plays into arguably the biggest bad guy of the book, Floyd, would you say? Yes, man. I mean, to think about what he does, and his wish was he wanted people to, to believe him. He was always a loser growing up in his own mind, never had a lot of friends, and then when he gets this ability... He slowly becomes the architect behind the wishes. Yo, and why the hell did they have to make him, like, from my home neck of the woods? I'm just saying. Like, seriously. That's just... Thanks. Yeah. It's a conspiracy theory. I'm telling you, man. You know what to say. Well, you know what? They probably are, because (laughs) there's a lot of people in the chat doing this. And, you know, that's the coolest thing that they do play into, because for every great superhero story, you have to have a supervillain. And Floyd is there because that's who Robbie winds up meeting mm-hmm. at one point because he has Fun City. And he has, you know, almost like, he plays like the Lex Luthor type, but he's not as suave. So he actually has uh, Hollow Haven up on the moon. Fun that's City right. is for the band. That's right. Um, with the Haven, Robbie wanted to get his parents up to it. But however, uh, that the, the idea man, mm-hmm. or the idea guy. Which, yeah, idea guy. The, the idea man, guy, he just... He's so influential that he is stealing people's wishes and using them. Like, yeah, you want to stay here? Wish, you know, give me your wish, or however that had. And there really wasn't any say on how wishes were transferable, which I kind of find a little odd. I would have liked maybe a page of that. I mm-hmm. didn't see it in there. Did I miss it? No, that was one thing I was going to bring up later about the things, things I, I, you know, we didn't like or per se like missteps. missteps. Yeah. That's what we'll call that. Because I do agree with you. I think that was something that was a little confusing about this, but you just see that Floyd is collecting these, you know, almost like Thanos with the Infinity Stones. Mm-hmm. And he, that's how he keeps growing in his power and becoming so influential until it all backfires on him later on the road. But you do see at this stage, Robbie has is, is become the superhero of this world. You see that his parents know that time is limited, too, especially as they're getting older, their dreams are starting to fade away. Speaking of pop culture... Uh, when Robbie gets his parents up to the Haven on the moon, did anybody notice, and I want to see if anybody in the chat can do this one before I answer it, and I'm going to hold off asking Ken not to answer this, but did anybody know whose house they were staying in? There is a very specific 90s reference in that house. Is it involving MTV Cribs? No. Okay. Then I do not. Oh, yeah. I want I want to see if the chat can pull this one out because I saw it and I noticed it. And I'm, I'm a very weird person. I remember sets and architecture. So let's see if anybody can figure out where their house was or whose house they were, who, where they were staying was based on from an old 90s show. Mm-hmm. 
And it's not Run's house, just saying. All right, I was going to say, that was going to be my next guess. <laughs> but that does play into, like, they did tie in so much of pop culture, too, especially as they're progressing through the years. And that's something that I think Ryan Brown did a fantastic job doing, too. It, it did not feel like it stayed in one era. No, it didn't, because if ever if there's 8 billion people on the Earth, there are 8 billion people from over at least the last 100 years, mm-hmm. you know. So there's going to be 100 years worth of thought and forethought. I mean, the the wish that a kid is going to have at 6 years old is not going to match the same wish as someone who's lived and seen it all at 92 plus. Their priorities are two very totally different things. So it, it would manifest itself in the world differently. Yeah. But as we see at this point, too, Robbie has a story going on with Floyd. The band leaves the bar, finally. Yes. And they're just traveling. And I like how they combine their remaining wishes, too, yes. which, which I thought this was such a strong play by Soul and, and Brown, too. Well, the, this was after several years of staying in the bar, so they, they definitely had figured out their BS between, you know, well, I love you, and you love me, and she loves him, and blah, 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 blah. No, we're all family. And they figured out, okay... We're going to do this. We're going to do this together. And because of the BS at Fun City doing the audition, that's when they were smart enough and made themselves combine their wishes that it had to be voted on together. Kind of like if anybody knows Ben 10, it would be like Alien X, you know, where it was a a triumvirate that had to vote to make one single movement even. Mm -hmm. So it it was really smart. And and the long-term effects of it were just like, Okay, didn't see that coming. No, I thought it was a great play, too, because you see the genies merge, the remaining ones, because Alex and Brian never used their wish. So when that happens, and then especially the rule that was made by Brian, is we all have to agree on the wish. I thought that was brilliant. Mm -hmm. Because you had everybody just going through this mindset of everybody had to be special about this, and Brian was sitting back and just watching how the world had become at this point. Because we had seen everything from sea creatures at this point from you know people that were just want to be you know at the sea, and then you wanted to see the Carosaurus. Yep, Carosaurus. You've seen people turn into Medusas. You've seen holes literally in the earth. It's yeah. I mean the range. The moon, the, the moon turned into some sort of effed up man in the moon lizard monster, whatever that was. Yeah, that was more like ego from a Guardians of the Galaxy. Like that's how like the tr- well, I should say from the Marvel Comics universe. Yes. More so than the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, which is on Disney Plus. But anyway, I digress. You see this all kind of combined, and I love how the imagination ran wild because you really have to tie it back to the overall theme of this. Mm-hmm. If you gave everybody in the world a wish, what would it be? And to see how many different ideas come to be. I mean, this is just so created by Soul and Brown to just illustrate it. Like, literally, I'm sure when they were creating this book, they kind of had to go, okay, what can we do now? And where can we go with this? Because you just see so many different ranges of serious and world-changing events to selfish goals and and wants and how they all just kind of mesh together. It's such a brilliant read and just so creative how they do this. And even, like I say, you do see them play into the fact that, yeah, we do have a bad guy overall who Floyd and he's manipulating everybody here. But they do tie it back to the family aspect too with the Zong family and what they're doing with their new born child and how they're bestowing the wishes onto her and really kind of establishing that to you know uh, Robbie's family too especially with his mom back and she knows that she's technically on borrowed time even though they kind of stayed away from that topic but I like how they played into that so 
doing such, like I say, this series covered so much that when you start fast-forwarding, and they do do time jumps here, but very brilliantly, eight seconds, eight hours, eight days, eight, 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 and keep going through time. They're really establishing about just how the world has just fallen apart, especially when you have so many of the people that are dying off because their wishes are not what they want to see. Mm-hmm. And how they play back into Floyd, I mean, and especially his house, which I think we've given enough time to. Yeah, it was based on family matters. Really? Yep. That was the Winslow's house. That was their living room. That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. I did not realize that. But there's, like I say, there's so many pop culture references that they kind of, you know, camouflage throughout the entire story. And and not only did they hide stuff in, but as you said, the, the severity of everything that's going on. Cheers to the to the to the artists simply for the fact that yes we had if you looked in the bar and you looked in certain buildings and especially with the darkness of the bar it had a very gritty style to it but as soon as you walked outside just having the several different aspects of fantasy and sci-fi and it, everything looked like it fit for the genre that it had to be in and it wasn't just you know a, a taupe or beige version of what it was mm-hmm. to, to make it fit like one huge through line. So the unicorn looked like a fanciful unicorn. Carosaurus looked like a gritty metal Carosaurus. It didn't, you know. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't as polished as you know anybody would think. But it also goes on to how true that person's vision was, which that's something the genies applied to. Mm-hmm. Because they were saying, like, you know, how authentic is your is your wish, to paraphrase a little bit. Because if it's something that's just kind of, you know, half-made, it becomes yeah. half-made. And if it's something that's really thought out, and, you know, especially their reactions to it, I thought was a nice touch because the genies themselves were more or less hands-off. They're just more reactionary than yep. anything. So they were completely side characters, which I liked. You didn't see anybody really step up, except for one that was a big reveal, that I love how they finally established who the first genie was. Or the last genie. Yes, and who was that? That would be the bartender. Yeah, Will, will, will Williamson. Yep. Because he's evoking his will on things. Yep. And you see that he's been the narrator this entire time. And I love how they did this issue reveal in uh, issue five. So we're near the end of the book, and that's when they finally go, boom, here we are. And once you see that reveal, it really just kind of goes into everything that this whole book has been about because... Somebody has been the voice of reason this entire time. Love this Christian Ward cover, by the way, too. i got to put that out there. And you see that with this power, he's just been watching the world go by. And really kind of ties into what the genies have been doing. Because once they come down, they just let humans go crazy. Because that always provides a need for genies, to paraphrase a little bit. It's, it's a cosmic culling, if you think about it. Yeah. So It really is. Yeah, and it's something that, like I say, it plays so strong into the overall idea of the story. And it's something that when you see readers gravitate towards this and you see them really get involved and really just dive into, you know, the insanity going on, but there is a message behind it. I mean, it just makes for such a powerful read. And especially when you start fast-forwarding through the years, you see that main characters are dying off. You see that Robbie's parents are now gone. You see that he's now nearing the end of his line. You're seeing that Brian dies off from the band and what happens now with them. And then it kind of sees how Floyd's fate winds up. And I love how the standoff, like a true superhero, his story is tied with Floyd so much. Oh, so well. And then especially when they have the final standoff where the genies, I think this is like the only time they kind of cross the line a little bit. 
because you kind of see them a little bit kind of turn on Floyd, or would you say no? I don't know if I would say the turn on Floyd. I think that because Robbie smartly pitched him into space, mm-hmm. you know, he technically wasn't able to make his wish. Yeah. So I think that I don't think that they turned on Floyd. I think that what the genies did was follow the letter of their own rules. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can't make a wish, you can't make a wish. Just like with the little kids, of which that has a whole impact as well. Um, they're not allowed to make their wish until they're old enough to understand what they're doing. So they followed their own rules. Yes, was it a little bit mercurial? Was it a little lawyer-like? Yeah, but was it smart? Absolutely. And it was well needed, too, because like I say, when it, when you have so much of this happening, that there needs to kind of be that sense of checks and balances. That I right. think That I think, you know, without diving into too much about like who deserves a wish and who doesn't, the genies were just kind of just standing back and watching by, kind of like the Watcher from the Marvel Universe. Uatu. Yes. So when you see this all kind of play out, it really adds so much to the story that, yeah, we have the happy ending, so to speak, for Robbie until he finally passes away. And as you see, when we get to the end of the story, there's only a couple people left. Yeah. And Daisy is one of them. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I was very surprised because she was the first one to get rid of her wish that we knew about. Because obviously everything's going on in all over the world. But she wound up getting wished immortality. And I thought her band really set her up for this. But then she's kind of just at the end of the world, just, you know, still kind of waiting to see what happens. Because she almost get, she winds up getting a redo, so well, to speak. Well, it's not that she, she got wished immortality. I think, again, it goes back to, to the fine print saying that they'd all have to agree upon a wish before it was made. So was it the fact of the wish being put pretty much on pause that kept her alive? Is the, That's the way I took it, mm-hmm. instead of being wished immortality, which really gives somebody who has, what, 700 years, almost 800 years, uh, worth of perspective on what the wish needs to be made. Yeah, and especially, too, at that point, because you almost run into this in many different stories. I, I know in like comparison, like Berserker from Boom that just came out, you know, yeah. the Keanu Reeves story, fantastic story, too, by the way. With the sense of immortality, it's like, what's left there? Because at the end of the day, you have two people left with out of everybody that's been in this story involved. You have Sing Soon Zong, who has been the child of the Zongs, mm-hmm. and Daisy, and Will Williams, who wraps up everything and explains how he was the first genie, but he wanted to experience what humans were. And really takes a dive into... You know, the sense of the outsider looking in. Oh, yeah. And I thought this played so so well to the story because he experiences everything. And he even kind of plays into the whole rock and roll lifestyle, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, which he even says in, in there. He's like, he just kind of went there, but he could never have children and pass along genies. But he does get the sense of what humanity does. And that's why he kind of steps back. And the minute the G-Day happens, he just kind of says, you know what? I want to enjoy my world that I've set up here. Because he's just happy being a bartender, too. Mm-hmm. But then it's like when we get to the final end, because Daisy is back there, and, and basically Will's like, what would your wish be? And she's like, I wish, you know, everybody would find love. Yep. And then, sure enough, he grants that wish. How did that moment hit you? Oh, dude, I, I mean, for the last page like that, I honestly was almost in tears. I, I, I was holding it back, because I was eating dinner, and I just didn't want to get you know, <laughs> tears in my beautiful... Braised lamb. But anyhow, uh, no, I mean, that was just to see that wasted love turns into true love at the end of the book. 
was selfless, not even true, selfless love mm-hmm. was just an amazing way to come full circle, like two eights. Yeah. You know, the two sides of the eight. Well played. <laughs> and I think that I, I think that ends it perfectly, too, because when you sit back and you watch the series unfold, you literally go through the emotions of, of the world. And you can kind of see how certain people are reacting, certain people are not. But when you take eight random people, put them together, and not go real world on them, but you let them choose their own destiny, what would they choose? Well, I, I, okay, hold on, I gotta say about this. Real world back then. Yes, the, yes, the, yes. The, the, first, the, first the original. season of real world, and that's even pushing, maybe the first five. That's more what we would get out of 8 billion genies instead of what real world would be today. Yeah, because obviously it's a little different. Uh, but I'd say the initial idea of putting eight people in a room, letting them choose their wish, what would their destiny be? Mm-hmm. And you go through love, heartache, pain, you know, absolute highs to absolute lows. And you just really stay on this journey. But it all comes back to what would you do with this power and how that affects the world. And like I say, we start out with it being so pro- so promising. And you just have that moment where, like, okay, here's the world as it is in the first eight hours, and then it's by a scoop of ice cream, yeah, and then by what the time, would that be? and by the time we finish, here we are, and you can do the math of how many people had their moment and let it slip, mm-hmm. and how many people flourished, but did it get anywhere? And it's kind of like if you have that perfect opportunity, do you take it? Do you not? What do you do in this moment? And I thought how you saw the evolution of Daisy, which is one of the strongest moments of the book, too. You see her go from being very selfish to very caring. Yep. And learning over time her mistake. Because she thought of herself first, but by the end she thinks of everybody else. Because she almost kind of sets it back to where it was before G-Day happened. To a degree. Yeah. And you just see the Will is just watching the world go by. And just seeing how everybody's playing out. I think it just ties into just how strong the writing is here. The artwork is is very, very good. And especially depicting the genies in such a manner, too. Like I say, Ryan Brown's art absolutely crushes it here. And I think that's what Matt's, Matt was getting at earlier, the fact that the initial uh, first cover is very deceiving. Oh, it's 8 billion genies, and it's got this cute little, you know, derpy-looking genie on there. And then all of a sudden it's... You know, you're thinking of them coming out and like, you know, hi, I'm a genie. Yeah. But as you see, they are starting to get represented. They are literally mirrors of the people that they're tied to. Mm-hmm. You know, you start seeing the goatees or the hipster buns or the sweaters or whatnot. They try to, you know, make them look like the characters that they're based off of or tied to, or, you know, have that symbiotic relationship with. Yeah. Or wish biotic relationship. Yeah. So... Tom, what would you say is something you didn't like about this? We talked a lot about the good of this book, but what do you think has been some areas, like missteps, as we called? I think that, one, it would definitely be how were the wishes transferred over. Mm -hmm. Um, That was a lot of, you know, if we knew, we had an idea of how we were going to get, you know, the the rules that the genies gave, with the exception of how did, you know, the yes man or the idea man get all those extra wishes. Um, That was one thing. I did like the fact that the dad down in South America, how he said, my kids aren't allowed to make it without my consent, which then gave us that whole new city, El Futuro, mm-hmm. meaning the future, because, you know, we'll see how well that plays out. And you notice that the idea of 
the the art style between the two cities was very different. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I wasn't really a fan of, like I said, was just how were the the, the genies transferred back and forth to one another, and yeah, that really was it. And I would have liked to see maybe some other maybe like a tie-in issue or whatnot that was like. Well, this is what's happening here. Like, it, give me the eight straight issues, and then give me one a one shot with eight small stories mm-hmm. of other people that weren't involved with the bar. Of we're trying to do this, we're trying to do that. That's it, again, it's just these are just hopes and wishes. But again, where did the transfer of genies, uh, you know, happen? That was the fine print I was looking for. Yeah, I agree. I think that there are some aspects of that that you could do and really play into. A little more details for it, but it wasn't anything that really took away from the book. Like, I want to really kind of stress that, too. No, no, no. You know, it was just a situation that, as as we're going through, it's like, okay, well, how are we maneuvering genies around? It was kind of like we had the basic premise, but we didn't have a lot of details outside of, okay, everybody has one wish. Everybody cannot do more than one wish. Once you die, it goes away. You can combine them in one sense. But just how it was set up, I think they really nailed most of the points. I think... They had, you know, when we start getting into the later halves of the series, I think you kind of start to see where we had a lot of the cast still around until super late. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it maybe if if more of the cast had got, I don't want to say killed off, but if they were taken out of the story a little bit earlier and really got to focus in on a few characters late. I mean, we do get there by the end, but I just think like between like the five and seven range, we still have a lot of characters going on. There's still a lot of moving parts. Oh, yeah. Especially we introduced Floyd late. Very much. Which, they do nail his story. So, like I say, it doesn't take anything away from it. I want. I really want to stress that. But it's just kind of an area that I was like, maybe you got a little fleshed out more. Probably would have something there. But at the end of the day, it's still a big win. So, before we get out of here, obviously, we like to give our grade on this. So, Tom, what is your grade about 8 billion genies from Image Comics? 8 billion out of 10. <laughs> Well played, well played. It, it really is. It's darn near a perfect book. So, honestly, out of 10, I would give it a solid 8.8. And, yes, I am playing all words with that. Uh, like I said, there was just those tiny little things that we hit on. But the art, the story, the characters, 8, 8.8 out of 10. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I, I mean, I give it an 8.5 out of 10. I really think the story is very, very good. And the creativity that Charles Soule does with these characters and especially everybody has their own vibe for the most part. The band is very similar, but it's, then again, if you've ever been in a band, it's a lot of like-minded people because you have to kind of mesh your ideas together. Oh, yeah. So I understood that. The couple stood out. Um, you had Robbie and his family. They have a lot of different stories going on. So, you know, for the main plot points, everybody had their own stories, where they went in, in different directions, but still it all tied together that we go from $8 billion to one. And how we wind up there is one of the most impressive reads we've done. And I definitely recommend this series out to anybody that wants to jump in. Uh, Like I say, it's a very cool read. Ryan Brown's art is definitely worth checking out. The covers for this have been, you know, very simplistic. And, as Tom alluded to, we may see this up on the small screen at some point. And let's just say, it's been so popular that it's been, at least to my knowledge, fifth reprint. I want to say you are right. They're, so there's some, they're doing something right here. Yeah, and especially when you generate the buzz from this, because one thing is comic book readers were really flocking to this and really wanted to say, 
that this head stood out so much. And this just is a cool story. And when you have a story like this that can go into multiple printings, especially in this day and age, too, where a lot of people are focused about the numbers of sales and, you know, what's a big hit these days. If you go into a shop on Wednesdays, you can definitely have a conversation with people about this. And I know when this book was coming out, a lot of people, there was a buzz that was surrounding this book, and rightfully so. Because when you always have a great story, it's going to generate where people are on social media talking about this. And this has been a book that had been on my radar for quite some time. I know Tom's, Matt, you know, we all have been talking about this series, and especially, too, it's one story that just resonates with everybody because it's a very simplistic theme, but there's so many multiple possibilities with this. It's a very human story with, with a very unhuman idea. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely one you should have on your reader list when you go to the comic shops this week. So that's why you can check out the QR code that's right in the corner above Tom, and you can go click on that and find your local comic shops wherever you are in the world. And if you even want more 8 Billion Genies talk, we got to give a shout-out to our guy, Marty Stoked, who's out in, uh, he's on vacation somewhere in the world right now. But on his podcast panel, panel, he did a deep dive with Bash, you know, from the Radiant Black podcast. They really did a great deep dive to it. And like I say, it's, a, it's great to hear everybody's perspective on this book because there's so much that is going on with this that you can really say this is one hell of a story. It's something that stands out on the shelf. And after you read it, you got a lot to think about. And I think that's always a true testament of a great story. Oh, yeah. Marty did such a great job. We wish you go over and watch that, too. Yes, absolutely. So definitely make sure to go check out Panel to Panel. And you'll be seeing him with the rest of the bullpen this week, dropping some reviews for New Comic Book Day. But before we get out of here, Tom, yes. you know tomorrow as we record, yes. it's New Comic Book Day. What are you looking forward to checking out? Uh, Batman. So anybody's got some extra, some extra dough. All right, we know we're used to selling our, you know, grabbing our comics for less than ten bucks. But if anybody really, really, really wants to, Batman One Bad Day complete box set is coming out. Ooh. Yeah, so I mean, just think about it. And I know that in there, there's going to be a variant, uh, Killing Joke cover variant. So I would definitely recommend go grab that because I mean, it, all it takes is just one bad day. Yeah, I have to say that whole series has been absolutely fantastic. And is one that, you know, when you can really have that deep dive into characters. Oh, God. You know. That's what I love. Yeah, it, it stands out so much. Uh, for me, I'm going to also go DC Comics this week. And there was a, a book series that came out, uh, Harley Quinn, Black and Red, or Black and White and Redder. Yes, Redder is a word here. And if anybody's not familiar with the series, this is something that DC's been doing since, God, I want to say... Uh, you know, early in the late 90s with Jim Lee, I remember did the cover for Batman Black and White, which was the first time they did this. And what they do is they take a character that you know, like Batman, and you let creators really kind of run wild, and they get to tell some stories about them that you don't get to see in Continuum, which is great. And is something that I will scream at the top of my lungs. I love seeing this because especially when you have a character like Batman or Superman or Wonder Woman, in a certain degree, you're almost held back, in my opinion, from telling a story. But when you can do a story like this, yeah, 1996 Batman Black and White, you really get to see creators run wild and do some very, very cool things with this. And I think that one thing that this series does, and I think it's truly phenomenal, is they've now started diving into other characters, and Harley Quinn, Black, White, and Redder is a perfect series for it. And there's three great stories this in this issue. Kelly Thompson and A. Wu 
do this amazing story about Harley Quinn and her origin. And you have Rose Stein and Ted Brandt doing a very cool battle of the pets. And I'm going to leave it at that. But the show stealer, and I truly mean this, Ryan Parrott. Our friend Ryan Parrott? Our friend our Ryan, friend Parrott, Ryan Parrott, Parrott, who you know from Rogue Son, Power Rangers, and Luana Vichel, did one of the greatest Harley Quinn stories I have ever read. And you can put me on tape for saying Justin, this. Justin, put this in my box now. They do this very cool story involving Commissioner Gordon, Harley Quinn, and a diner. That's all I'm going to say about it, but the take they do is absolutely mind-blowing. And I literally sat there, and like I say, each of these stories is great. So it's not to take away nothing from the other creators. But what Ryan did here is take what we know of, of Commissioner Gordon and Harley Quinn and really put it to the test. And how it all plays out, like I say, I rave about this story. Look at my face. My face is like, I want this. I want this now. Yes. So, like I say, I have the review up right now on nerdinitiative.com and also odphpodcast.com. This is an issue you need to go read. And, like I say, for all three stories. Because, like I say, they absolutely crush it with this book. And, like I say, if you want to see something different... At the comic shops, involving some of your favorite pop culture characters, because let's face it, Harley Quinn has crossed over into yeah. that realm. This is this is the perfect series for it. So I definitely give a high recommendation for that. And also Marvel Comics Fall of X is going on. There's a series that is coming out tomorrow, Dark X-Men number one. Steve Fox and Jonas Scharf. I've been screaming about this for a while, knowing their work from Archer and Armstrong forever and Basilix for Boom Studios, respectively Valiant Entertainment. I cannot wait to see those two come together and do something crazy in the X universe. Because, like I say, The Fall of X has been really fun to watch, and it's been something that I, I can't stress enough. If you haven't checked out the X-Men line lately, you definitely want to go make sure you keep some eyes on that. So, Tom, before we get out of here, why don't you let the fine folks know where they can find you and everything you're doing. Well, I think that there's going to be a thing that pops up right down there. You can catch me on all the social medias at Off the Cuff Tom. There's a link to all my link tree and shows you everything I've done between video games, reviews, music, uh, podcasts I've been on. I, I, I really am just, you know, touching all the multis of the facets of the multiverse. So you can check me out on there. Absolutely. For Matt, who unfortunately had to go out and Matt, stay safe. We, we've been messaging back and forth about what's going on. Seriously, if you're not following Hopskeeks News on your favorite social media platforms and podcast form, you need to go to their YouTube page. They're absolutely crushing it right now, so you can go scan that QR code right there on the screen. Find out everything going on with Matt and Lauren, because I tell you what, they put on some great content each and every time out. And for yours truly, you can find out me and Padawan J and the rest of the team at the ODPH, odphpodcast.com, but you scan that QR code, and it's right there for you. But since you like to scan QR codes, and I hope you do... We have a way that is still going on from our first episode. So you scan the code for Turnipage, and you can get entered into the giveaway for the Secret Invasion bundle because we have the combined Secret Invasion run by uh, Bendis and Francis Yu. And what about that variant cover? And the variant cover from Gabriel Delato that is a 1 in 100 variant. It's a very, very worthwhile code to pick up. 
So, like I just say, you got to go to nerdinitiative.com, sign up on the newsletter, let them know that you're entering in here for the QR code, and also scan there, and you get signed up, and you get entered to win, and we will be announcing that at the end of the month. Which is coming up. Which is coming up, because we have a lot of things in store at nerdinitiative.com. And for next week's episode, we may be live, we may not be live. So we're going to kind of tease it like this. We have... We're, we're going to groom you back. Yes. we ha- Just keep coming back. We have something very, very massive that we may do next week. We may not do next week. So you'll just have to make sure you drop that follow for NerdInitiative.com on you- and, and follow on the YouTube page. Follow us on our socials. We will let you know what we're going to be talking about next week. But until that time, Tom, thank you for coming on the show yet again. Always a pleasure. My name is Ken M, and remember when you're at the comic shop and you have a great issue in your hand and you see somebody looking for something to read, pass it on to them and tell them to turn a page. We'll see you next time.